Take out your Bibles if you have them here with you this morning. We're going to be heading to Acts chapter 21. And uh, the end of the year, if you hadn't realized, is fast approaching. I don't know about you, but it just kind of feels like these last, or this back half of the year anyway, it's been in a little bit of a, a time warp or something like that, just figuring out your bearings and where, where we're at in the year. But Christmas is coming. Decorations are up around the place, I understand, in the shops and been out running and some houses in the suburb have some Christmas decorations up. In fact, one day I was running past and I kind of looked and had to do a double take as I saw some Christmas decorations up. I thought, isn't that a bit early? And then I thought, hang on a minute, no, we're not that far away. But all that to say, it doesn't leave a whole lot of Sundays to finish off our series through the book of Acts. And last week, Andrew brought a great message on calling, how we are a called people, and that this calling that each one of us have from the Lord should be the thing that uh, propels us forward, that, that moves us forward, that carries us through the tough times so that we might finish the race. And uh, I was personally stirred and encouraged in my own heart, so if you haven't heard the message, I encourage you to check it out from last Sunday. But today, I've been uh, tasked with picking up the pace a little bit and getting through a decent chunk this morning so that we can bring this series into land uh, in just a few weeks' time. So this morning, let me just say up front, it'll be a little bit of a different message, I guess. So bear with me. We're going to survey a fairly sizable chunk of Scripture and pull out some key things to hopefully encourage us and challenge us this morning. Does that sound okay? All right, well, before we do anything, let's pray. Lord, we need you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for its power, for its relevance for us today, here and now. Lord, your word has changed my life, and I'm forever grateful for that. And I know that there are many here for whom that has been the case. And we just uh, thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you, Lord, that whether it's a single verse or many chapters, Lord, that we're reading or trying to cover, Lord God, that the touch of your Spirit causes it to come alive in our hearts. And so I ask for the touch of your Spirit upon this word this morning, Lord God. Lord, in this day and this time that we live, we don't need to hear more opinions, Lord, more good ideas, Lord. We don't need to to hear the latest fad or even hear what Facebook or YouTube is saying, Lord God, even the most eloquent preaching. Lord, we need to know what you are saying, Lord God, what's on your heart, Lord. And so I just ask this morning that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you're saying and what it is you're doing. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just to give a, a little bit of an overview this morning, just because, I, as I mentioned, we are kind of going through and, and surveying a few chapters. We're, we're starting in Acts chapter 21, and uh, Paul has departed from Ephesus, and he's making the journey back to Jerusalem. And on the way, he would be warned, of course, about what was to come, what would await him there, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. And then in the latter part of chapter 21, Paul was arrested, he was falsely accused, he was beaten. And then in the early part of Acts chapter 22, Paul gives his defense to the people of Jerusalem. And then moving on in Acts chapter 23, he has opportunity to speak to the, the council, the religious leaders and the elders. 
he uh, experiences a plot on his life, yet the Lord delivers him sovereignly out of that. And then he eventually ends up in the latter part of chapter 23 and into chapter 24. He's sent to the governor, Felix, in Caesarea, and end of chapter 4 tells us that Paul was left in prison for um, about a two-year period. So how will we cover this much content in just a short amount of time? Well, by God's grace, of course, but really by focusing on a few common threads that I believe are woven through these chapters that I mentioned, by bringing out a few things that are evident in Paul's life and how he kind of dealt with the situations that he was faced with. And I believe there are things that we can grab hold of as well and put into practice in our lives today. So things kind of seem to be speeding up a little bit in Luke's narrative account. But I I believe that for Paul, it, it may have seemed like he was kind of put on the bench a little bit, as it were, to use that sporting analogy. You know, this is Paul, the great missionary. He's out there, you know, on his missionary journeys. He's seeing revival. He's seeing the Lord do incredible things. And yes, there was hardships and all sorts of things. But he was the one who liked to be in the midst of the action, in the middle of the game, as it were. And yet here we find him kind of on the bench, as in arrested, held, in custody, kind of in these next few chapters, shafted around from from council to tribunal to people to governor. I imagine for him there would have been an element of frustration, being imprisoned, not much happening in the natural. But the common threads that I mentioned look like this, that in the midst of the things that were happening to Paul and around Paul, We can see God's purpose being outworked, his providence or his sovereignty, and we can see his plan prevailing. This is kind of the overarching thing, that this is what God does. This is, uh, you know, this is his part that he plays in the story, right? And in our lives today, we can also be assured of these things, God's purpose being outworked, his providence, his, his sovereignty, if you like, being evident in our lives, and his plan prevailing. But there's another aspect. So that's, that's the overarching God kind of part that he plays. But there's this other aspect woven through. It's, it's what, is, what is our part to play in all this? What did uh, Paul do in the midst of all this? And what are we called to do and how are we called to live today? So let's read from Acts chapter 21. Uh, we'll go from verse 8. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And it says, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. You might remember Philip from Acts chapter 8. The Lord just kind of takes him to Caesarea, and here we find him many, many years later, still known as the evangelist, raising his family to know the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Anyway, that's an aside. He says, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. 
After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. First thing I want to encourage us in this morning as we kind of survey these passages today, that we see Paul's priority and persistent pursuit. On the way to Jerusalem, two of the three points that he stopped, at Tyre and here at Caesarea, he found fellowship with, this, with disciples. And they were telling him not to go up to Jerusalem. And of course, he receives this rather dramatic prophetic word or prophetic picture of what was awaiting him there in Jerusalem. And the people, the brothers and sisters in Christ, they were well-meaning, yet they urged him not to go. It wasn't just a casual, do you think this is a good idea, Paul? Maybe not. No, they were urging him not to go up to Jerusalem. They didn't want him to suffer. They didn't want to see him bound in chains. Yet despite all this, we see in Paul's life a submission to and a pursuit of God's will. In the midst of much noise, in the midst of many well-meaning voices, he was able to cut through that. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you trying to dissuade me? Why are you trying to throw me off course to keep me from the will of God? The path that he would have me walk. I, I know you mean well, but he says, but I am ready. Whatever is ahead, my life is not my own. I am ready and resolved to pursue and to walk in the will of God. And that echoes what we looked at last week of Acts 20 verse 24. He says, I do not count my life of any value or, nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And so he couldn't be persuaded. I kind of think he was someone who wouldn't have been persuaded easy once he set his mind to something. But ultimately it was prayed, well, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul was able to put aside the desire of the majority and pressed on to walk in God's will, the desire of the one whose voice and opinion matters the most. There will be times in our lives when the noise and even the well-meaning voices may be trying to drown out what God is saying, where He is leading, what His will is. So are we... In those moments, are we pressing on and persevering to seek and to know and to walk in God's will in our lives? Will we be a people who, come what may, continually say, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth, here in my life today, here in this church, here in my family, here in my sphere of influence, my workplace, whatever it is, your will be done, Lord. Will we be a people who seek Him, who have our hearts so set on the Lord that this, we will have this pursuit, this, this drive propelling us forward? That it would be His voice and opinion, the one that, that matters most, that would truly matter most in our lives, not just what others say and think, or even what we would desire in our own, uh, our own selves. Your will be done. And in addition to this pursuit of God's will, Paul testifies on a couple of different occasions. In uh, chapter 23, verse 1, 24, verse 16, he says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. 
I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. That's what he writes. And so what I want us to grab a hold of this morning, in addition to this priority and pursuit of God's will in our lives, in every area of our lives, is this, that, that as Paul writes, our lives are lived before God. And that might sound simple and obvious, but ultimately he is the one to whom we will give an account of our lives to. And because of that, every moment matters. Every moment matters. Every breath, the, the things that are the seen aspects of our life and the things that are unseen, the private aspects of our life. Every moment matters. Living with a sense of call and purpose. Living with a sense of authenticity and humility. How we work, how we love our family. If we're married, how we love our spouse, how we care for our neighbours. All these things matter in living our lives rightly before God. As Paul writes in Colossians 3, whatever you do, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, let it all be done for him. And if we can grab hold of this this morning, I believe it changes things. It changes our perspective. It changes how we see things and how we live our lives. Paul's priority and persistent pursuit was walking in God's will and living his life rightly before God, but also in a manner that was pleasing to him. And there was a call for us to do likewise. Would you turn, just, well, look over to Acts 22. Because we see, so we see Paul's priority and persistent pursuit, the will of God, living rightly before him. Moving on, we see Paul's opposition turned into opportunities. This is what it says in Acts 22, verse 1 to 5. Remember, he's been arrested He's been thrown before the people and he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed debt towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, Rise and go up into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. We see Paul's opposition turn into opportunities. At this point, as he gives his defense, Paul has been beaten, he's been arrested. He's been falsely accused, so this prophetic word that was given to him by the prophet Agabus is coming to pass. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a fair bit of opposition. That sounds like a less than ideal situation. And for me, I fear that that sort of situation will be one of such discouragement and disappointment, embarrassment even, confusion, that it will probably lead to a bit of a pity party, if I'm really honest. 
But for Paul, there was no woe is me, no victim mentality, no where are you God. Even though in the natural there was no cause, there was cause to feel deflated and disappointed and discouraged and downcast, he knew that his ways are higher and that God has a way of working in the midst of the trials and the difficulties and the stuff happening and bringing his purpose to pass. So opposition and arrest, but this leads to this opportunity to speak and to testify and to proclaim as it does further on as we read uh, and I encourage you actually just to read through these few chapters in your own time. Time kind of uh, doesn't permit us to go through verse by verse this morning. But take a read through and you'll see these common threads, I believe. But he has this opportunity to speak and hear his defense. He, he wasn't accusatory. He wasn't playing the victim. He wasn't having a go at those who had treated him shamefully. But rather he shared what Christ had done for him. He shared the testimony of what he was and where he had been. And he shared that to highlight the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This time of persecution for him was an opportunity. This time of trouble, this time of being on trial and of being in prison was an opportunity to give testimony and to share what Jesus had done. And I believe that he had a clear view of who God is. A clear view of his calling as we looked at last week. As we've seen already this morning. And he had a faith that was robust enough to know that the opposition was not the end of the story, but rather the opportunity and a God possibility. For Paul, the lack or presence of hardship was not an indicator of whether God was with him or not, God was good or not, God was loving of him or not, and nor should it be for us today. And I want to encourage our hearts today, and I want to encourage mine as well, what lens will we look through when faced with opposition or difficulties. From the prison, the Lord was opening doors and wasn't just here for the people of Jerusalem. God wasn't just finished there. The the religious council was next. The governor was after that and then beyond to proclaim who Jesus is and all that he had done. And you know, I don't want to just gloss over or flippantly kind of go over this, what I'm sure was a very difficult time in Paul's life. And I in no way want to kind of just oversimplify or gloss over difficult things happening in our lives today. But the lens that we look through will determine whether we see only opposition and all that entails, or whether we look beyond that to the opportunity that the Lord has. I was at a dinner the other night, uh, earlier this last week, and uh, for the, the, the speaking time after the dinner, I was sitting up kind of on this mezzanine, probably as high as that part there, the roof there, and uh, looking down. And as, as I was there looking around, I realized I could see someone directly below me as I was looking over the, the balcony. I wasn't causing any mischief or anything like that. But I, they were there and they had an iPad uh, recording uh, what was happening, the speaker that was um, presenting a testimony. And uh, I looked, and I, as I could see on the screen of this iPad, just how different their view and their perspective and their lens was than what I could see up there. And I could see on the iPad, it was just totally different, the, the different angle that this person was sitting at and what they could see as opposed to what I could see up high. And it kind of got me thinking about, it's just similar in our lives of faith, that when we are 
faced with various things and opposition and all those kind of things, that often it's the lens that we look through that determines how we see things, right? Whether we're up higher or down lower. And I want to encourage us this morning, what lens will we look through? Are we looking to see the God possibilities and the God opportunities wherever we're at? Perhaps the Lord could stir our hearts afresh today in that, that we would see what He is doing, that we would see His opportunities. Even when all around are difficulties or things that haven't quite gone according to plan. Look for what God is doing, for the doors that He is opening. Take courage. This was the Lord's encouragement to Paul in chapter 23, verse 11. And it's His encouragement to us today. Because this is who our God is. He's the one who opens doors. He's the one who makes the prison a place of proclamation. As we bring this to a close this morning, let's jump over to Acts 24. For in this we see Paul's proclamation. We've seen Paul's priority and persistent pursuit of God's will. Living rightly before him, we've seen uh, Paul's opposition turn into opportunities. We see Paul's proclamation. And uh, Paul, at this point, he's been brought before Felix, the governor. And uh, this is what it says in, in Acts 24, verse 1. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one to Tullus. They laid before the governor, their case against Paul. And when they had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, and he goes on, let's, in verse 5, he says, For we have found this man a plague. Isn't that a strong word to use to describe someone? A plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And so Paul gets his opportunity to speak, down in verse 10, and he says, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it's not more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. We see Paul's proclamation. And I believe that in this season of Paul's life, being kind of arrested, being moved around before the people, in prison, before this council, that, and the governor. It would have been easy for him to get caught up in the noise. It would have been easy for him to bring an aggressive defense, you know, trying to rebut all these accusations that they were bringing against him. Being distracted, easily frustrated by not being out doing the work. But his proclamation continued to be Jesus. Whether that was in front of people, religious leaders, governors, kings, the message remained. He proclaimed the main thing, 
rather than just trying to protect his reputation. Paul proclaimed this hope that he had in God. He proclaimed the resurrection. His witness was not just of some intellectual concept or some theological argument, but rather of the one who was not dead, but one who is gloriously present and alive forevermore. This gospel is not just some nice words or a nice intellectual belief. It is power unto salvation. And this is the message that Paul proclaimed. Because the gospel changes lives. It's the power of God at work. The gospel changes us. What should change us from the inside out. Remember this morning that we have a hope and it is set on the living God. Remember this morning that Jesus is alive and well. He is ever-present and He is at work. So this morning, can we be a people not distracted by the noise, by all the things that are going on around us, and can we instead remember and keep as our focus the main thing? Jesus, the Gospel, what He's doing, who He is. Because you know, our lives proclaim something. Our lives proclaim something. What message are we proclaiming? Is it contention? Is it criticism? Is it tearing down rather than building others up? Is it, I've written here, is it being an Eeyore Christian? You know, from Winnie the Pooh, the, oh, everything, you know, that we can find. If there's something to complain about or grumble about, Eeyore finds it. Or is what we're proclaiming with our words, with our lives, And all those things, hope and life and the power of God and the power of the gospel. Can we get the worship team up? Is that okay? Thank you. We're going to bring this to a close. And I know that we've kind of covered a lot. But I believe there's much for us to to grab hold of this morning. There's this overarching thread in the, the chapters that we've kind of surveyed today. And indeed through all of Acts. Of God's purpose at work. His purpose is at at work in our lives today. We see his providence and his sovereignty. We see his prevailing plan. But you know, we also see a template for how we are called to live. Being a people whose priority and pursuit is knowing and walking in God's will. In being a people who see what God is doing, looking for and seeing those opportunities that he opens up, even in the midst of difficulties and other circumstances. And in being a people who proclaim the right message. Would you stand this morning as we bring our service to a close? I'm going to pray, but I also want to give opportunity for each of us to respond, really. Uh, We'll be offering prayer in in a couple of weeks, uh, I believe, again. But you can respond to the Lord right where you're at. Holy Spirit can touch your heart right where you're at this morning. I want to pray for perhaps those 
You're in a place where you're seeking God's will. You're seeking to walk in His will. But you, there's some confusion around that. You're like, oh, I really want to know God's will, but I need your help, Lord, to know what that is. I want to pray for you this morning that God would bring clarity. Perhaps you're in a place this morning as you've been listening to the word and the priority and pursuit of God's will. Perhaps you've realized that there's kind of been a sense of resisting God's will. Perhaps a hardness of heart or keeping God at a distance. I just want to encourage you this morning to respond to the Lord. Come afresh and say, Lord, your will be done. I want to pray for those perhaps looking to see the God opportunities, to see what He is doing. Maybe to see things from His perspective, looking through the right lens. And I also want to pray for those desiring to proclaim, desiring to proclaim with you words with your life Jesus so if that if any of those things resonate with you you might like to just open up your hands to the Lord just as an outward sign of inward surrender Lord I want to thank you for our time together this morning I want to thank you Lord for just your presence in this place Lord I want to thank you Lord for the joy of being able to gather as your people Lord God and after these last couple of years, we, we never want to take that for granted. And to be honest, we never want to just go through the motions of that, Lord God. <laughs> but I thank you, Lord, for this, this privilege and blessing to be, have things opening up and to be able to gather together as your people, Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord, what we can see and learn. But God... More than that, Lord, what we can grab hold of, Lord, for our lives today. So I pray for each and every person here. Lord, I bless everyone here just with your peace, with your grace, with your presence, Lord, with a renewed hunger for you, Lord Jesus. I bless each and every person here with encouragement of heart this morning. You're the lifter of our heads, Lord God, and I thank you for that. But Lord, I pray specifically today for those just desiring to respond to you, Lord God. Lord, where, where there are those of us this morning really seeking and seeking to know your will, Lord God, I ask this morning that you would bring clarity, Lord God. Where there's been confusion, where there's been second-guessing even, Lord, I ask this morning that as, as we continue to, to seek and pursue your will, that you would bring clarity, Lord God. I pray, Lord, this morning, perhaps for those who have been resistant to your will, perhaps happy to keep you at arm's length, whether that's through through fear or just disappointment, I don't know. But you do, Lord. I ask that you would come this morning and touch hearts. You would come this morning and soften hearts, Lord God. That there'd just be an ability, Lord, through your grace to, to, to just draw near to you and to say, Lord, I'm sorry come and I desire afresh today it's like a line in the sand that your will would be done in my life Lord for those this morning perhaps in a place of opposition perhaps in a place of discouragement or disappointment God I want to pray 
today, Lord, that you would open hearts, you would open eyes afresh to see what you are doing, Lord, to see your opportunities, Lord, that you are opening up. Lord, we know that, that you are the God who is able. There is nothing that's too hard for you, Lord. So God, would you just cause us to, I guess, look through the right lens. Would you clean our lenses where we need that, Lord, to enable us to see clearly. And Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, for those who are just feeling stirred in their hearts, perhaps convicted in their hearts, Lord, to proclaim that, Lord, our lives would proclaim you, Jesus. That, Lord, as people look at us and work with us and, I don't know, see us in our neighborhoods and communities, in our homes, Lord God, that, that you would be seen, Lord God. We know that you are the answer, Lord Jesus, that your gospel, your glorious gospel, Lord, is the answer to this broken world in need, Lord. So let us be a people who proclaim you, Lord Jesus, with boldness, yes, but Lord, with humility, with character, Lord, with a sense of purity, with lives that are lived rightly before you, Lord God. So Lord, would you fill us afresh with your spirit this morning? That we would go from here just a little different, or a lot different perhaps, Lord, than when we came in. Because we've been in your presence. We've worshipped you. We've opened up your word. Lord God, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you this morning, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.